You are listening to Hope Fellowship Church of Jaffrey, New Hampshire. If you would like to check out more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit hfcnh.org. This topic is, is not an easy one to come into as it's never popular. Usually if you have the opportunity to speak, you don't think, you know what, I'm just gonna speak on really hard things like going through difficulties and, and the hard issues of life. Um, but I, what I hope we walk away with and what I believe we'll walk away with as we look through uh, our time together in the word is that we can walk away knowing that, that hardship is not pointless, that God is in control in the midst of hardship. And, uh, and so I hope we, we see that theme come out as Paul encourages Timothy uh, in the passages that we're gonna look at. I wanna share a, a true story um, about the, this group, it's a, a terrorist group really, the Al-Shabaab militants. It came after these Christian school teachers named Philip Okumu and Daniel Wakesa. And it was in the middle of the night, they surrounded the men's house in their small Kenyan village near the Somali border. They tossed a hand grenade through a window and as flames spread through the concrete block structure, Philip and Daniel attempted to run for the door where they were shot dead as they tried to exit the building. According to a group of Somali Christian leaders, the men were killed for sharing the gospel with their students. And although based in Somalia, El-Shabaab terrorists move freely across the country's borders with Kenya and Ethiopia in a region known as Greater Somalia, enforcing their harsh religious standards with brutal injustice, sharing the gospel in this region is extremely dangerous. Neither the Somali or Kenyan government has been able to control the Islamist group in this lawless border region prompting the Kenyan government to urge non-Muslim people and workers like Philip and Daniel to leave the area. But the two Christian men chose to stay because they knew that ethnically Somali children they taught would have no other way of hearing the gospel. Their love for the children and faithfulness to Christ cost them their lives that night in October 2018. I think most of us in the age in which we live, we understand there is risk in following Jesus and that that risk is very real. And, and for the most part, largely, we have, have, have not had to experience the kind of persecution and kind of suffering others have in other parts of our world. But it's becoming more apparent every single day, even within the relative freedom of the American experiment, that following Jesus is not popular. Jesus understood that suffering for his sake would be a reality for his followers. He never shies back from letting them know suffering will come. You will suffer for my name's sake. And remember that if you're suffering, it's not them that they hate, it's me they hate. Jesus understood suffering. He also understood that the hardships of everyday life would also be a present reality even to his followers. The encouraging part of the gospel 
is that it points us to God's answer to the brokenness we experience in the world. And so this morning, we will look at how the Apostle Paul outlines for us the mentality we are to have as followers of Jesus, especially in light of suffering and hardships that we face in this broken world while still living as a light in a world that desperately needs to know the hope of Jesus Christ. Again, we, we, we go back to our foundation that we started with several weeks ago because without it, moving forward is pretty pointless. Foundation in 2 Timothy 2.8, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David as preached in my gospel. And I know we've said it every single time, but this is so vital for us understanding how we move forward in the Christian life is the gospel has to be central. If we're not careful, we walk through life naturally, which says it's all about me. It's all about what I can get from it. I only have so many years here, so whatever I can do to get the most out of life, I want that. And what happens is we put that onto our experience with us following Christ, and we expect, well, if I follow Jesus, life should look this particular way, because that's what I want it to look like. But the whole point of the gospel is to rescue us from the reality that we don't have it all together, that without Christ, we are hopeless, that without Christ, we are lost in our sin that we are eternally separated from God. And it is only through Christ that we have any hope whatsoever. And so if you haven't noticed already, this morning we're gonna look at the verses that lead up to that verse eight, which we looked through uh, a few weeks ago. The gospel of Jesus Christ must be the foundation that helps us face hardships and suffering in this world. We need to understand that the grace of God doesn't just save us, it's also available to help us through the most difficult times of life. Now, before we read the text this morning, I want to remind us about the who, what, where, and when of this particular letter. Maybe you have to think back a little bit when you were in school and it was really important to answer those questions, the who, what, where, when, and then the the why, which we'll get to. But it helps us, right, understand the context of, of what we're to be understanding, what we're reading, where did this come from, what was it about, who was the intended audience. This helps kind of set the stage for us to understand the context of this particular letter. And I believe it's the context that actually helps us understand that what Paul is writing to Timothy about is not too far removed from what we face today as followers of Jesus. Hopefully it's obvious by now the who of this letter it was written by the Apostle Paul. And Paul served Jesus for some 30 years or so, but he spent the first half of his life, the first 30 or so years, as a faithful Jew, a practicing Jew, a religious Jew. But he was an opponent of the church. When Jesus came, died, was raised from the dead and ascended and the, and the church was born, Paul became an enemy of the church. 
we look through Acts, which kind of gives us a little bit of the background of where Paul came from. Acts chapter seven and eight tells us that Paul even signed off on the murder of, of the first Christian martyr, Stephen. So he was opposed to the church of Jesus Christ. This new movement that was taking place. But Acts chapter eight is followed by chapter nine. And so Paul, on the, on the road to Damascus, meets the risen Savior, and everything about his life would change from that moment on. Paul realized he was fighting the wrong battle. So Paul became a believer and follower in Jesus Christ, who had lived, who bled, who had died, and who was raised from the dead. And he went on to spend the next 30 years developing relationships, sharing the gospel, fighting against false teaching all over the world. But one of the things he did really well was building relationships and mentoring others. And there was no relationship to Paul more significant than the one he had with Timothy. And I want to take just a a minute and go down a a bit of a a rabbit trail as we kind of look and reflect on the life of, of Paul the reality is, I, I don't know everyone's story here. Though, those that may watch online, I, I don't know what everyone's story is or what has brought you in this morning. I suspect there are, are those of us who, who've come and, and feel like you've made a mess of your life or that you've had others come into your lives and their decisions have, have made a mess of your life and you're dealing with pain and the consequences of these things. And so for you, here's what I want you to know. Look at the life of Paul and reflect on what that means for your life, the implications of the life of Paul. It means that your life is not finished yet. See Paul as an amazing example of the life reroute that can occur when we turn our lives to Christ and we live the way he created us to operate. There is always still hope when we turn to Jesus. All right, when you look at the, the first half of Paul's life, it was completely different than the second half of Paul's life. And the thing that made the difference was Acts chapter 9, Paul ran into Jesus. So I don't know where everybody's coming from, but I want each of us to know that we can be absolutely transformed. Not because of anything you're going to do, not because of any good works you're going to try to muster up, not because of any amount of money that you're going to give away, not not because of the amount of old ladies you're gonna help cross the street later today. You cannot earn your way into heaven. We can't bridge the gap that separates us for eternity from a holy and just God. But the good news is we don't have to. This is why 2 Timothy 2 verse eight is so important. God in his love for us sent his son to live, to die, to be raised from the dead. The death we deserve as sinners has been passed on to Jesus and we can by faith, not as a result of works, trust in the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. So if you don't know Jesus, today could be that day. Today could be your Acts chapter nine and the rest of your life could look differently. 
getting back into helping us understand the context here. Paul's writing to Timothy here. And as I mentioned a few weeks ago, Timothy was Paul's dear friend. Paul wasn't just mentoring Timothy, but he had a relationship with Timothy. He cared deeply for Timothy. Timothy's mentioned by Paul over 18 times in this letter alone. Timothy's a leader in the church of Ephesus where he's at right now. Paul had sent Timothy to the church in Ephesus to be his representative, right? We talked a few weeks ago about how he was having to battle false teaching and some of the issues that were going on within the church. And so Paul is trying to encourage Timothy in the midst of his struggle. This relationship between Paul and Timothy was a special relationship. Paul calls Timothy his beloved and faithful child in the Lord. He calls Timothy his fellow worker. He calls Timothy his brother and co-worker. Paul even told the church in Philippi that he had no one else like Timothy. Timothy was like a son to Paul. So we have the who, Paul to Timothy, the what, this is a letter to Timothy. The when, I believe this was written in the mid to late AD 60s, and the where, well the where is important as well. Paul is sitting in a Roman dungeon. He's in prison, awaiting death. And he's writing to his friend Timothy, who's in Ephesus. So that's the who, the what, the when, and the where. And this context helps us understand what it meant to Timothy to receive this letter, and therefore what it can mean for us today. As Paul writes this letter, he knows that Timothy felt ill-equipped. He knew that Timothy felt too young, he was timid, he, he was facing a lot of challenges. Timothy had health issues, he felt fearful of the things that would be coming his way. Timothy was having to defend his faith from false teachers from within the church in Ephesus. He was wrestling against those who were intolerant of his beliefs about the gospel. Timothy was facing a future that would include times of difficulty where people were going from bad to worse. There was no doubt in Paul's mind that Timothy was gonna face difficult seasons. He was going to face suffering and persecution. Many of us might feel like Timothy felt, where he feel ill-equipped to follow after Jesus. And we look around at the world around us and we see the hostility toward our faith that only seems to be growing. If we're not careful, we allow that fear just to cause us to shut down. We create borders and walls around us where our faith is no longer seen because we're so afraid and so angry about the world around us. We feel afraid of what might happen if we actually stand up for our faith in Jesus Christ, knowing that what may come are some real consequences. We're surrounded by false teaching every single day. We have people that wanna, want to lead us to believe that Jesus wants us to be healthy, wealthy, and prosperous, that somehow our pocketbook is the thing Jesus is most concerned about. Lars and I didn't talk beforehand, but it's amazing how Lord led us both to mention that this isn't the most important aspect of following Jesus. In fact, it's not his concern at all. 
we're gonna see very clearly in this letter that Jesus' mission is not that we would be healthy, wealthy, and prosperous. We look at our culture at large and we, we have a, a culture around us that seems to be screaming that there, there is no absolute truth. You, you just do whatever seems right for you. Do you want to be a man? Be a man. Do you want to be a woman? Be a woman. Do you want to terminate life in the womb? You do your thing. You're your own God is the message of our culture. You decide what's right for you. It's all around us. We live in a culture that is growing in its intolerance toward the life God designed us for. And it seems to be going from bad to worse. We live in a world that has no desire to hear about sin and judgment and death. They don't want to talk about repentance. We're moving to a place in this country where it may cost us to follow Jesus if it hasn't already. That's where we're headed. Not much different than the world that Timothy is facing, that Paul has faced. And so Paul speaks into this moment. I want you to know Paul wrote 2 Timothy to Timothy to help him in the midst of hardships, sufferings. And this letter survived to this day to help us. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be fearful. We don't have to shrink back. We don't have to fear. So let's jump into these few verses here. 2 Timothy chapter 2. I'm gonna read through verses 3 through 7. Paul says to Timothy, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Paul gives us these three images to equip and encourage us to face the hardships that come when we live out our faith. When we live out the life God designed for human flourishing, we understand that there may be pushback from the culture around us and even those who are supposedly within our same circles. There's a couple commands here, and the first one is this, share in suffering. Now, now it's a unique thing to have this phrase stated, the first challenge I give to you, Timothy, is I want you to, I want you to realize we're sharing in suffering together. You know, there's not many things in our lives where we, we have this concept of sharing and suffering together. About the only thing in my life experience that I can look to is, is when, I, when I played football, you know, and you'd have those locker room moments and those halftime speeches where you're rallying everybody around you and you got your brother to your left and to your right and you're like, we're gonna get these guys, right? Which seems kind of silly in comparison to what Paul is calling Timothy here. But he's saying share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. This is very similar to what Paul says earlier in chapter one where he says, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, Paul, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. 
When I look at this command, I, I find it comforting as well as troubling. Troubling because none of us probably look for ways that we can suffer. And I, I don't think Paul's saying here, Timothy, go look for trouble. That's not what he's saying here. He's sharing the reality that if you are going to follow Christ and you're going to stand for the truths of God's word, suffering will come. Your experience in living in this broken world means that challenges will still come your way. Suffering may come in the form of religious persecution as we've mentioned here and as we shared in the story to begin with. But it can also come from tension that some of us feel in the relationships we have with others. Maybe even those closest to us. Those who we are closest with who do not yet understand the truths of the gospel and what it means to live a life for Christ. Maybe we have those in our lives that look at all of this that we do and see it as nonsense. I know there are those in in my life where my heart breaks for them because even while they see what I believe is nonsense, I desperately want them to see the truth of who Jesus is. I want them to see their creator as such, that he is their creator and has designed each of us to operate a specific way. We can suffer in many ways, whether that be relationally, physically, spiritually, or otherwise but here's the comforting part, right? And this is what Paul's trying to emphasize here. We are not alone. Timothy, you're not alone. We are not alone. Paul says we're supposed to share in suffering. One of the most important things we can do and must do in order to suffer well is to remember that we're not suffering alone. Jesus went ahead of us and suffered. And so when we suffer, we enter the fellowship of his suffering. Philippians 3.10 tells us that, Lord, that I may know him and the power of his, Jesus' resurrection, and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. We are not just beneficiaries of Jesus' death. We actually get to share in his sufferings. So when we suffer as Christians, we don't suffer alone. We suffer with Jesus. Suffering then becomes in an odd way a privilege because it's something we get to share with Jesus. It leads us into greater intimacy with him. It helps us acknowledge the pain and suffering he went through to rescue us. But we don't only suffer with Jesus, we suffer with other Christians too. Paul asked Timothy to share in his sufferings what Paul was walking through. And so whenever we suffer, we we join thousands of other believers who are suffering as well. There's a story in uh, Voice of the Martyrs, which is a, a kind of a collection of stories from Christians all over the world and their difficult circumstances story of a teenager and his younger brother who they were kicked out of their home in Southeast Asia for attending church. Chan and Huang were in a church service on May 24th when their father burst in and began swearing at them and trying to drag them out of this uh, church service that was going on. Going on. And he, he told them to stop worshiping, to go home 
And members of the congregation even tried to stop and prevent the boy's father from attacking them, but he later would curse at them and, and would eventually threw them out of his home. And after the boys took refuge at the home of the pastor, their father continued to threaten them, even painting threats on the, the pastor's home, saying, I do not want to see you at all. Heed this if you do not want to die. That's just one story of many that we could tell. And this is what Paul's saying here. We are sharing in this suffering. We do not suffer in isolation. When we suffer for Jesus, we enter the company of fellow sufferers that include Jesus, Paul, Timothy, and many, many more. Not bad company to be included with. So we're to share in suffering. And then Paul gets into these three illustrations, right? That's the first commandment to share in the sufferings, but then he gives us these three illustrations to help us understand what it means to suffer. These are, are going to be helpful because some may be wondering, well, what, what in the world would it look like for me to follow this command? How exactly am I going to share in suffering? How do I suffer well? And Paul answers by giving us three images. A soldier, an athlete, and a farmer. So how do we endure hardship? The first image we were given is this soldier, to have this unentangled commitment, to shift our loyalties like a soldier does. In the passage, it says to share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus because no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Soldiers suffer, right? That's part of the job. They often sleep on the ground. They endure heat and cold and hunger and thirst. They're put in the most difficult circumstances. Soldiering requires total commitment. Soldiers don't get involved in anything that distracts them from being soldiers. In fact, when, when Paul wrote this, soldiers would serve up to 20 years and only about half of them would even survive long enough to even be able to return home. Paul highlights one part of soldiering that's relevant to our walk with Jesus. Soldiers shift their priorities from civilian pursuits to pleasing their commanding officer. And for each of us that are followers of Jesus, we're in active service right now. We're not on reserve. We're not back at the base. We're on the front lines. When you follow Jesus, our priorities shift from the normal things that people worry about, right? Living a comfortable life, getting ahead, for instance, to pleasing Jesus no matter what it costs. And there's a cost to do that. Our focus shifts to the desire of one to the one who is leading us. And if our life doesn't reflect different priorities from the people who don't follow Jesus, we're probably doing it wrong. Because we look to Jesus and his word to guide our thoughts, our actions, and our priorities. And that's just part of what it means to follow Jesus. And of course, we're still gonna continue to do the things that everyone else does. We're still gonna go to work. We're still gonna buy groceries. We're still gonna pay our bills. But our loyalties and priorities have changed. 
Our life is no longer our own. We live to please Jesus, not ourselves. And this will stretch us. It will cost us comfort at times. And so we're to be like a soldier. But then we're also called to be like an athlete, to be disciplined within limits, to discipline ourselves like an athlete. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Athletes live according to a couple sets of rules. One is a set of rules that has to do with training, right? Listen to your coach, show up at practice, do the drills, don't take things you're not supposed to take and put in your body, right? Some athletes back in, in Paul's day would have, would have had to swear that they'd train a required number of, of months before they were even allowed to compete, right? So you can't be an athlete if you don't do the work that nobody sees. But then there's the work that everybody sees. And you're called upon to, to live by a certain standard, to play the game by a certain set of rules. Sprinters, they have to stay in their lanes. You know, shot putters must toss the right kind of shot put, right, within fixed dimensions. Pitchers must use a regulation baseball and the right kind of baseball bat. Football players, you can't use deflated footballs. You just can't. For those who didn't get the Tom Brady reference, you can look it up later. Right, but if we understand this. If you don't follow the rules, you can't play the game. So what kind of suffering is he talking about here? What, what is this image supposed to help us with? The reality is we all have to follow the rules of Christ. He's given us his word to say, this is how I designed you to operate. This is how you can thrive as a follower of Jesus because this is the way I designed you to operate. And so obedience matters then. We need to train ourselves in the habits of grace like taking in scripture, praying, and staying involved in our church and working together in a community that exemplifies Christ's likeness. Lord willing, next week we'll get into this whole idea of like how do we follow Jesus together as part of the community, the church. Again, discipline to train and follow the rules involves a certain kind of suffering and self-denial and that's part of what it means to follow Jesus. Then we're given a, a, a third image here, the farmer. Hard, unexciting work with no immediate payback. Work hard like a farmer. We lived in Illinois for several years and we were just surrounded by cornfields and soybean fields, as far as you could see. I remember we had a lot of farmers in our church and they talked about how difficult each season had its own challenges and how difficult that can be and how long the season can be and all the preparation that has to take place and all the elements that are outside of your control and in your control that you just sometimes just don't know what each season is going to bring. So in context with what, Ti what Paul is sharing with Timothy, how, do, how does a farmer suffer? Well, a farmer suffers from, from hard work sacrificial labor, hustle, but the hard work pays off. There's not an immediate gratification from the work, but the hardworking farmer gets rewards that the lazy farmer is not going to get. But it involves suffering, it involves months of hard work. And even when the farmer's tired, and even when the results are gonna be a long way off, 
And so to summarize here, the images that Paul is giving to Timothy, and by extension to us, is that we're to share in, sh- in, share in suffering by shifting our loyalties like a soldier, dis- disciplining ourselves like an athlete, and working hard like a farmer. I want us to look at a little bit of a history to understand looking at Paul and what he's facing in that moment. In fact, there's a specific ruler that was in place that had put Paul into prison. His name was Nero. So let's look at the life of Nero versus Paul. Nero had great power. He had great wealth. He had large armies under his control in various locations. He had a large empire covering much of the known world. The political powers and those under him submitted to his authority. His palace was made of gold and precious stones. He went everywhere with a personal guard. In fact, he was seen as a god to some and worshiped as such. And his subjects trembled before him. Then you have Paul. Ethnically during this time, he was despised. He owned little to nothing. He was a poor man. Along with the ethnic hate he received, he also spoke a language that was despised. He lived in hunger. He was imprisoned by near himself with thieves and murderers. He was beaten and he was mocked. There's Paul. While one is, was filled with great power and earthly prominence, history rightly concludes that Nero was a man of murder, judgment, and cruelty. The other was one who had nothing, no power, and suffered greatly but is honored as one who sacrificed much, loved deeply, was passionate for his beliefs, and has a good rapport even among his enemies and those that disagreed with him. So what are we pursuing? The the power, the wealth, the influence? We're saying, no Lord, I submit it all to you. Because the biggest difference is that one lived for what would immediately be rewarding and pleasurable, while the other desired to live for a kingdom that is yet to come, the kingdom of Jesus. Paul's priorities were God's priorities, and he gave every minute of his life once he met Jesus to live for Jesus. So the challenge Paul gives us in this letter and in his life testimony is that it is far more rewarding to live for Jesus and his priorities than it is to live for anything that this world offers us. One is temporary and will one day be removed. The other is eternal and filled with more glory than we can even comprehend. John Piper shares that if you think suffering is pointless, then your suffering will drive you from God 
instead of driving you from everything but God. If you think your suffering is pointless, then your suffering will drive you from God instead of driving you from everything but God. Paul understood this, and he wanted Timothy to be encouraged. Suffering is not pointless. God is not ignoring our circumstances. He uses the hardest moments of life to show to the world that the things of this world are not the most important things. And then Paul concludes this section where he basically says, the final command, think about it. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. An interesting way for Paul to conclude this section it's like, saying, like he's saying, I don't want to just give you a bunch of content here. I want you to really think about this. I want you to pause. I want you to reflect. I want you to work out what this will look like in your life. And then he gives the promise. The Lord will give you understanding in these things. He will pinpoint the areas of your life that need to change so that you are living the way he designed you to live, even if that means it's in the midst of suffering and hardships. Here's the reality. We don't know what type of suffering we will experience in our lives. And maybe like Paul, we'll be put in prison for our obedience to Jesus. Maybe like Timothy, we'll be challenged to not be ashamed for those who suffer for Jesus' sake. Or maybe like a soldier, an athlete, or a farmer, our suffering will be more like the everyday kind. Staying loyal to Jesus, disciplining ourselves, and working hard over a long period of time. Whatever form our suffering takes, we're called to share in that suffering. And I'm excited next week to go into how we operate as a community in following Jesus. But what a privilege we have to share in suffering. We get to join Jesus and thousands of other believers in living not for ourselves, but for him. And think about what this looks like practically. Where do we need to shift our priorities and loyalties, maybe like a soldier with the goal to pleasing Jesus instead of living for ourselves? Where do we need to discipline ourselves like an athlete engaging in habits of grace, like absorbing scripture and praying and getting involved in our our local church and obeying him even when it's costly? Or where do we need to be challenged like the farmer to really work hard in really hard places for a really long time, seeing no immediate results. We're challenged, Paul challenges Timothy, we're challenged in this moment. Think about these things. For the Lord will give you understanding in everything. And what's awesome is he's not waiting for us to gather up the strength to do this, the same grace that rescues us when we turn to Jesus in faith, this same grace is provided to help even in the midst of all our hardships and all our suffering. He walks with us all along the way as we share in suffering together. Let's pray. Lord, you, you have given us so much and often it's so easy to, to think about all the positives and all, all the joy that following you brings. But 
But there is a reality that we live in a difficult world, that living out our faith and living out your word is a hard thing. And yet you have given us amazing examples, including your son Jesus, to share in this suffering. And so Lord, my, my prayer for each of us is that whatever, whatever it is right now in this season that is hard, that is difficult, that you would help us turn that over to you and see you working, that we would trust in you, that we would continue to pursue you, that we would continue to be disciplined, that we would continue to make our, our priorities your priorities, that we would work hard at following after you. And Lord, if we're in a season where, where there's not a, a difficult thing facing us, Lord, that even now we would be preparing ourselves to be ready when the attacks come to be ready when we have to be ready to be challenged about our faith, when we have to face the difficulties that our culture can bring at times. Would you find us faithful in pursuing you? And would we truly take joy in knowing that we do not fight these things alone, but that you have called us to share in the suffering of your son Jesus, that it brings us closer to you in our relationship with you, and our desire for you, and our love for you. Would these things grow, no matter what we're facing? Would we walk away loving you more, no matter what we face? So Lord, we thank you for these words of encouragement from Paul to Timothy, and I pray that it would encourage our hearts this morning as we head out into a world that desperately needs to know of the hope of Jesus Christ. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.